And so, Father God, that is our great profession of faith today, that we're running to you. In 2017, may it be a year marked by running to you. May it be a year, Lord God, of abiding in you, of resting in you. So, Lord God, we run from fear and we run in faith to you. And we pray, Lord God, that you would, you would be a refuge for us. That you would be a safe harbor for us. That you would be that shepherd who guides us with your rod and your staff to protect us. See us through, Lord God. In Jesus' name we ask. Now speak through me, your servant, Lord God. Deposit a word in season for people. Encourage us, Lord God. Inspire us to be those kinds of people you have called us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. You may be seated in the presence of the Lord. As you're making your way to the book of Second Chronicles, Second Chronicles chapter 20. If you're new here uh, and new to matters of faith, uh, new to the Bible, most Bibles have a table of contents, no shame, my game. Please use the table of contents to get to 2 Chronicles chapter 20. And as you're turning there, let me just make one more announcement to you. We um, are so grateful to God for um, Cormac and those who are leading us in worship. Amen. And uh, we are... We are looking to expand uh, our worship team, and uh, we we want to expand it in such a way that is consistent with our values. Uh, our value, we value uh, being a multi-ethnic, so we don't want to be a homogenous church, because heaven ain't going to be a homogenous church. It's, uh, it's a multi-ethnic experience. Ain't going to be no barrio in heaven. Ain't going to be no south side, no north side, no... East side is going to be one zip code in heaven and Jesus is going to be at the center of it all. Amen. And we want to begin to uh, mimic those things right now. So we want to be a multi-ethnic and multi-generational worship team. So we are uh, looking for people of all ethnicities, of all generations, young people uh, as well to help and expand an already important ministry. And so if you can make a joyful noise. Not just the noise, but if you can make a joyful, amen. Someone say joyful, joyful noise. We want to encourage you to be, to be a part of that. Second Chronicles chapter 20. This is, um, this is one of my favorite texts in Bible. And um, let's just sit in it for a few moments. Pick me up in verse 1 of Second Chronicles chapter 20. After this, the Moabites and Ammonites... And with them, some of the Meunites came against Jehoshaphat for battle. Some men came and told Jehoshaphat, A great multitude is coming against you from Edom, from beyond the sea. Behold, they are in Hazazan, Tamar, that is, in Gedi. Then Jehoshaphat was afraid and set his face to seek the Lord and proclaimed a fast throughout all Judah. And Judah assembled to seek help from the Lord. From all the cities of Judah they came to seek the Lord. And Jehoshaphat stood in the assembly of Judah and Jerusalem in the house of the Lord before the new court and said, O Lord God of our fathers, are you not God in heaven? You rule over 
All the kingdoms of the nations in your hand are power and might, so that none is able to withstand you. Did you not, our God, drive out the inhabitants of the land before your people Israel and give it forever to the descendants of Abraham, your friend? And they have lived in it and have built for you a sanctuary for your name, saying, If disaster comes upon us, the sword, judgment, or pestilence, or famine, we will stand before this house and before you, for your name is in this house, and cry out to you in our affliction, and you will hear and save. And now behold, the men of Ammon and Moab and Mount Seir, whom you would not let Israel invade when they came from the land of Egypt, and whom they avoided, did not destroy. Behold, they reward us by coming to drive us out of your possession, which you have given us to inherit. O our God, will you not execute on them? For we are powerless against this great horde that is against us. We do not know what to do, I love it, but our eyes are on you. Meanwhile, all Judas before the Lord with their little ones, their wives, and their children. And the Spirit of the Lord came upon, came upon Jehaziel, the son of Zechariah, son of Benani, son of Jael, son of Mataniah, a Levite of the sons of Asaph, in the midst of the assembly. And he said, listen, all Judah and inhabitants of Jerusalem. King Jehoshaphat, thus says the Lord to you, do not be afraid, do not be dismayed at this great horde, for the battle is not yours, but God's. Tomorrow, go down against them. Behold, they will come up by the ascent of Ziz. You will find them at the end of the valley, east of the wilderness of Jeruel. You will not need to fight in this battle. Stand firm. Hold your position and see the salvation of the Lord on your behalf, O Judah and Jerusalem. Do not be afraid and do not be dismayed. Tomorrow go out against them and the Lord will be with you. Then Jehoshaphat bowed his head with his face to the ground, and all Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem fell down before the Lord, worshiping the Lord. And the Levites of the Kohathites and the Korites stood up to praise the Lord, the God of Israel, with a very loud voice. They praised him before they got the victory. And they rose early in the morning and went out into the wilderness of Tekoa. And when they went out, Jehoshaphat stood and said, Hear me, Judah and inhabitants of Jerusalem, believe in the Lord your God. And you will be established. Believe his prophets and you will succeed. And when he had taken counsel with the people, he appointed those who were to sing to the Lord and praise him in holy attire as they went before the army and say, give thanks to the Lord for his steadfast love endures forever. And when they began to sing and praise, the Lord set an ambush against the men of Ammon, Moab, and Mount Seir, who had come against Judah, so that they were routed. For the men of Ammon and Moab rose against the inhabitants of Mount Seir, devoting them to destruction. And when they had made an end of the inhabitants of Seir, they all helped to destroy one another. When Judah came to the watchtower of the wilderness, they looked toward the horde, and behold, there were dead bodies lying on the ground. None had escaped. When Jehoshaphat and his people came to take their spoil, they found them in great numbers, goods, clothing, and precious things, which they took for themselves until they could carry no more. They were three days in taking the spoil. It was so much. The word of the Lord.
Thanks be to God. Amen. I was hanging out with a good friend of mine not long ago, and the dreaded R word came up. Resolutions. My friend looked at me and said, uh, my New Year's resolution for 2017 is to stop hanging out with people who make New Year's resolutions. And he shot me a look. We all know what that feels like, right? Many of you in this place today have what I call resolution fatigue. We all know what it's like to begin a new year and to start out at the top of that year with a lot of adrenaline, a lot of excitement. And we're just making all of these incredible goals and dreams and visions. Some of them are a little bit ambitious and we set the bar high. We say this year we're going to lose 68 pounds and this year we're going to get completely out of debt and this year we're we're going to get out of dysfunctional unhealthy relationships and this read through the bible 29 times and this year we're going to do all of these wonderful things and and praise god for ambition but all of us in this room know the frustration of not living up to the ideal We know what it's like to write down these resolutions and we know what it's like to to make bold declarations and for the first couple of days or weeks we may be doing well, but then Valentine's Day hits and tell the truth somebody, we've flunked all of these ideals and resolutions that we were going after. And yet nonetheless, even though we may no longer use the term resolution, I have found that this time of the year is is a time of year in which all of us do what I call an internal audit. We, we, we take inventory of our lives. We, we may not use the word resolution, but we, we want to just kind of make note of some things we want to do different or some things we want to... We want to stop doing or some things that we want to start rerouting and going in a different direction. We may not call them resolutions, but, but nonetheless, there is this, this sense given the season of the year that we're in, in which we, we say to ourselves, how is 2017 in my life going to be different than 2016? We have a longing and in other words, to experience a, a sense of renewal. My hope is, is today as we begin this new series that I'm just simply calling Renew through the month of January. As we launch out into just a new kind of, kind of uh, several week series in which we're just calling Renew. My, my hope is, is that on your list of things to do in 2017, that right at the top of that list, you want to go deeper in your relationship with God. My hope is, is that, is that more than slimmer waistlines, you want God. My hope is that more than less debt, you want God. My hope is that, that more than getting out of dysfunctional relationships, you want to experience a dimension of God in 2017 that you had never even dreamed possible. My hope is that, that you will be renewed in your relationship with the Lord in 2017. I know I do. 
Just the other week, I, I read John Woodbridge's wonderful book. He's a great historian uh, who teaches at Trinity Evangelical Divinity Seminary in Deerfield, Illinois. He wrote a wonderful book in which he just chronicled the history of revivals, those miraculous movements of God when God does something extra special and extraordinary among the people of God. It's a breathtaking book. In fact, we're, we're ordering it, and it's going to be available in a resource center for you. I, I would highly commend it to you. It's story after story after story of people being renewed in their relationship with God. In fact, one whole section of it is devoted to a historical outpouring of the spirit of God that took place in our country back in the 1700s called the Great Awakening. It was led by preachers like Jonathan Edwards and Whitfield. And these individuals would, would preach and the spirit of God would just be poured out on people. In fact, whole cities, whole towns would come to faith in Jesus Christ. Can you imagine that? The whole town of Sunnyvale gets saved. The whole town of Cupertino gets saved. The whole town of... These are miraculous things that are happening. In fact, during this revival, true story, a slave was so enamored with George Whitfield's preaching as one of the finest preachers ever that the slave was in his slave quarters mimicking the great George Whitfield when his slave owner caught him mimicking this preacher. And the slave owner got so tickled that he decided that later on that evening he was going to invite over his slave owning friends. They were going to pour some drinks and, and have a good laugh at this uh, slave who thought he was a preacher. And so they pour the drinks, they make the slave stand on top of a chair, they demand that he imitate Whitfield and he starts imitating Whitfield and, and, and they start laughing at first. But then when the slave in his imitation of Whitfield gets to the gospel, the Holy Spirit falls on these slave owning individuals. They start crying uncontrollably, get saved and end up emancipating him because of the good news of the gospel. Another time, a guy by the name of John Wesley is the founder of the Methodist Church. John Wesley would go out into the open fields. Tens of thousands of people would come, hear him preach the gospel. And it got to a point where his brother Charles, the great hymn writer, would have to send out advance notice warning people not to climb into trees because so many people would come to hear the gospel. They would climb into trees. The Spirit of God would fall on people and these individuals would fall out of these trees. I'm here to tell you, some of us may be sitting here going, that doesn't happen anymore. I'm here to tell you that God ain't dead. I believe the same God that worked in history during the Great Awakening, the same God who sent forth his spirit in Acts chapter 2, the same God who opened the Red Sea, the same God that has done all of these miraculous works is the same God, I believe, who wants to do a profound work of renewal, not just in your heart, not just in my heart, not just in the life of abundant life, but he wants to do the miraculous, I believe, in the Bay Area, in our country, in our world, for his glory and fame. I believe that. I believe that. In fact, I believe that it could very well be possible that the only reason why we are not seeing the miraculous happen is because the people of God aren't coming together in lockstep harmony and praying and fasting and seeking God together for it. Habakkuk chapter 3 verse 2. Oh, I love this verse. Habakkuk says... 
Oh Lord, look at it with me. I have heard the report of you and your work, oh Lord, I fear. In the midst of the years, revive it. He's saying, God, do it again. I heard of what you did in the past. Here's what he's saying. God, I don't just want you to be on the history channel. That God ain't dead. So the God that showed up in my great-grandparents' lives, I don't want to just read about that God. I want to experience it. Revive it. Do it again in the midst of the years. Make it known. In wrath, remember mercy. So here's what we're doing this month. This month, I just feel led of the Lord as your pastor to just, just say, we're going to set aside the month of January. In the month of January, there's one word that's going to sum up the month of January. I believe the whole year, 2017, at our church, it is the word renew. Renew, 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 renew. We want to see God renew some things, restore some things, revive some things, see him breathe on some things. We want to see him take some dry bones and blow into them and do a new work. So we're going to come together because we understand that the weapon warfare are not carnal. They're not of the flesh. So we want to come together appropriating God's prescribed means of setting the table for him to do a wonderful work of renewal and revival in your hearts, in your neighbor's hearts, in the life of this church, in the life of the bay. We want to trust him in profound ways. And we want to seek him To do a work of of revival. Because God is not on the history channel. He's alive today. We want to tap into that God. We want to see that God at work. We want to see him renew marriages. We want to see him renew families. We want to see him renew people who don't know Jesus Christ. Take them from death to life. We want to see God renew and do a new work. Now the question on the table is... It's twofold. And I want, to, I want to explore these two questions with you today. How does God, or rather, let me, let me begin with, when does God renew? And how does God renew? I, I, I want to just walk through this because as we come to Second Chronicles chapter 20, there's one word that you can just write in the margins of your Bible. It is the word renew. Here we see God renewing something. Here we see God doing a phenomenal work. This is a breathtaking story in which, in which the people of God are in a powerless situation and they turn to God in prayer and fasting. God shows up and he says, now that you set the table in prayer and fasting, you've done your part. I'm going to do my part. Stand still. See the salvation of the Lord. I'm going to bless you. In fact, I'm going to bless you beyond what you even asked me for. Because I'm not even going to deliver you. But when you show up on the battlefield, there's going to be so much blessing, so much spoil on the field. It's going to take you days to recover it. So we serve a who wants to do exceedingly, abundantly, above and beyond all that we could ask or think. Now, how can we tap into that? As we come to our text, verses 1 and 2 tell us. That there are the Moabites, the Ammonites, and the Meunites who have gathered together. They formed a coalition to come against the people of God. Scholars tell us that this is the largest army that has ever formed up until that point in human history. Not only they come against the people of God, but they have come against the nation of Judah. 
The nation of Judah is a part of the covenant people of God, but they have splintered off from the people of God, them and one other tribe. So it ain't even the whole 12 tribes. It's a small, tiny, as my grandmama used to say, T-90, two little tribes. They're small. Jehoshaphat gets the word, the text says, that a great multitude has come against them. In fact, that word multitude, verse 2, it's a sensory term, which literally means to roar. Get the picture. Jehoshaphat can literally hear the largest army that has ever gathered marching towards them. He can hear it. Here they are. They are on their way against tiny little Judah. Later on, Jehoshaphat confesses, God, we're powerless. It is as if they are backed against a corner. It is as if they are stuck. There's nothing they can do to get out of it. They don't have the resources to get out of it. They don't have the amount of weapons to get out of it. They don't have the amount of people resources to get out of it. They don't have the ingenuity to get out of it. They have nowhere to turn but up. You need to be renewed. It's when life has backed you in its proverbial corner. It's when you have found yourself in a situation that the letters behind your name can't get you out of. That the amount of zeros in your bank account can't get you out of. That your social network can't get you out of. Some of us have been backed into a corner financially. We've got too much month at the end of the money. We've got crises that are coming our way and, and things that are coming at us. And it's this overall feeling of being overwhelmed. Ever felt overwhelmed by life? Ever said to yourself, if one more thing happens, I'm going to lose my mind up in here, up in here. To quote the great philosopher DMX. Ever found yourself in a predicament which you said, I'm powerless. This is above my pay grade. Well, friends, according to our story, you are ripe for God to do a work of renewal. It's when life has sacked its odds against us. We have no other place to look that God now says, you have finally allowed me to be in a predicament where I can be God in your life. How do we set the stage for renewal? Look at what happens in verse 3. Then Jehoshaphat was afraid. This isn't a problem here so far. Fear is the initial reflex reaction to what happens when problems come at us. When we get a negative doctor's report or when we all of a sudden realize that something's gone amiss financially or, or something happens on the job that initial reflex reaction is understandable, fear. But look at what the text says. Then Jehoshaphat was afraid, watch it now, and set his face to seek the Lord. How do we set the table for renewal? Number one, we must do something. Jehoshaphat makes up his mind that he's not going to wallow in fear, but he's going to walk in faith. Jehoshaphat makes up his mind that he is not going to wallow in fear, but he's going to walk in faith. I love what the text says. The text says that Jehoshaphat set his face 
the face, the face, the face. It, it is, it, it is the strongest indicator outwardly of what's going on inwardly. The idea of setting your face, the idea of setting your face is the idea of turning your attention away from something and redirecting your attention to something. Whatever has your face has your attention. Kids, come on, parents, we've all been there, especially you moms. You know what it's like to be on the phone in the kitchen and your kids, maybe when they're toddlers, come up to you and you're looking the other way and they're trying to get your attention and they start calling your name about 500,000 times. Mommy, 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 mommy. And they're pulling on your skirt and you're looking the other way and they keep calling and pulling and calling and pulling. What makes them stop? What makes them stop is when you turn your face away from being away from them and you turn your face towards them. Now they got your attention and oftentimes they wish they didn't have it. Here's Jehoshaphat. Watch it now in context. All these problems are coming. Largest army ever. And the text says that Jehoshaphat made a decision. I'm going to set my face. Not on the army. But I'm going to set my face to seek the Lord. So I've got to decide that I'm going to turn my face away from the problem. And I'm going to turn my face to God. In fact, in my experience, that's not a one and done decision. It's a daily decision. It's a moment by moment decision. It's a minute by minute decision. I'm deciding. I'm looking at God. I'm looking at God. I'm looking at God. God, you've got my face, not my finances. God, you've got my face, not my unemployment. God, you've got my face, not all these problems over here. He decided. Abundant life, who's got your face this morning? Who's got your face? The text says Jehoshaphat set his face to seek the Lord. Not only did Jehoshaphat something set his face to seek the Lord, he decided I'm going to walk in faith, not wallow in fear. Secondly, Jehoshaphat not only did something, he did something radical. Verse 3. Then Jehoshaphat was afraid, set his face to seek the Lord, I love it, and proclaimed a fast throughout all Judah. And Judah assembled to seek help, the idea there is prayer, from the Lord, from all the cities of Judah. They came to seek the Lord. So here he did something, he made a mind. When trouble comes, i got to make up my mind. Who's going to get my face, problems or God? God, you're getting my face, and I'm going to do something radical. I'm going to pray and fast. I'm not going to meditate on my problems. I'm going to pray and fast. Because if my problems get my face, then I'm worrying. Hear me. And worry doesn't do nothing. I want you to get that in your spirit. Worry does nothing. Read Matthew 6, 25 to 33. Jesus says, which of you by worrying can add a single hour to a span of life? Worry won't make you pregnant or unpregnant. Worry won't get you the job. Worry won't change the lump on your breast. 
Worry doesn't do it, but the God over worry can fix it. So we've got to make up our mind. Where am I turning my face? And then, then the text says he did it by fasting and seeking help from the Lord. He was praying. He was praying. He was praying. I don't have time to read it again, but I want to encourage you. Go back home and read his prayer starting in verse 6. His prayer can be summed up in two words. You said. Here's Jehoshaphat talking to God. And if you study his prayer... All he's doing is taking the scripture he knows and throwing it back in God's face. God, you said, God, you said, God, you said, God, you said. He's not telling God, you said, God has short term memory issues. He is obligating God to God's word. Now, let's go back to kids. If there's one thing little kids have down, when it comes to their parents, it's those two words. You said, you said, you said. Now, sometimes I think they they lie a little bit or they misinterpret stuff. But still, kids know you said. Just the other day, I'm sitting in my lazy boy, just came home from a trip. And Jaden said, Dad, you ready to go to the park? I said, Jaden, I'm not going to park today. He said, but Dad, you said. A few moments later, I'm up at that lazy boy and I'm at the park with my son. Why? Because when he obligates me to my word, that forces me into action. Some of us aren't seeing God move in powerful ways because in order to say to God, you said, you have to know what he said. So if you want to see God move, you're going to have to get this book in your spirit. And you're going to have to go to the throne room, not just with your worries and fears and thoughts and ideas, but you're going to have to take this book and you're going to have to throw the promises of God back onto the lap of God. So there are times in which you're going to have to say, now, God, you said I'm in a financial bind and God, these bills got to get paid. But you said that my God will supply all your needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. Others of you may be worried about a child, but you got to take God's word and give it right back to him. Now, God, you said if I train up a child in the way he should go, that when he's old, he won't depart from. That's what you said, God. That's what you said. How do we see God do a work of renewal in our hearts and lives? We don't just pray, but you got to be really familiar with the promises of God. And you've got to carry those promises in the throne room with you. You've got to remind him of what he said. Not only does he pray, the text tells us that he proclaims a fast. Ian Bounds said that prayer is the expression of the soul's dependence upon God. Prayer fundamentally says, God, I need you. Fasting is an even more intense expression of the soul's dependence upon God. I love what David Platt says as he writes in his foreword to John Piper's wonderful book on fasting called A Hunger for God. Look at it with me on the screen. David Platt says, there is a spiritual delight to be found in God that far supersedes the physical diet of this world. And fasting is the means by which we say to God, 
More than our stomachs want food, our souls want you. Give that to you again. Fasting is the means by which we say to God, more than our stomachs want food, our souls want you. Did you know that God has so designed your life that there are certain victories you will never know unless you access them through the card key of fasting? Let me give you some Bible. The disciples tried to cast a demon out of a kid one day, and they weren't able to do it. Jesus shows up, no problem, he does it. The disciples are curious, they say to Jesus, now why could you do it? We couldn't do it. Jesus said, this kind, this kind, this kind can only come out by prayer and fasting. There are certain victories you will never experience in your life Unless you go deeper with God through the doorway of fasting. God has designed that there are certain dimensions of him that cannot be accessed or experienced in meaningful ways that give you pragmatic victories unless you come to him desperately and fast. This is the word of the Lord. He wants us to people who seek him and to be people who will come to him fast. Many of us have gone, gone swimming in the ocean. And by that, we mean just a few feet from the beach. We hang out in the shallows. But if you really want to go deep, 30, 50, 100 feet deep, you got to get some extreme gear on. You got to get an oxygen tank, oxygen mask. You got to appropriate extreme measures if you really want to go deep. That's what fasting does. Fasting is not a magic wand we use to manipulate God. But it is our divine scuba gear that lets us go deep with God. It experiences dimensions of God we could never experience while swimming in the shallows. God's calling us fast. Now watch it. I'm almost done. How do we set the table for renewal? Do something. Secondly, do something radical. Thirdly, do something radical together. Verse three, then Jehoshaphat was afraid, set his face to seek the Lord and proclaimed a fast throughout all Judah. And Judah assembled to seek help from the Lord. From all the cities of Judah, they came to seek the Lord. Jehoshaphat wasn't praying and fasting by himself. Jehoshaphat said, what we are believing God for is so impossible that I got to make sure we get everybody together on the same page, marching in the same direction. Now there's power in fasting. Lord have mercy. You get hundreds and thousands of people believing God together, praying and fasting at the same time. Now that's power. Solomon said two are better than one because they have a greater return for their labor. The Bible says, well, one can put a thousand to flight. Two can put 10,000 to flight. There's power 
when we touch and agree. There's power in that. Carl Lundquist was sitting with a Korean pastor, Dr. Jun Kim. Dr. Jun, a phenomenal man of God who has seen God move in phenomenal ways in his heart and life. And Dr. Carl Lundquist, this the spiritual leader from America is sitting down in South Korea with Dr. Jun Kim. And he's asking him the secret to him seeing God move in powerful ways. And Dr. Jun Kim says, well, it's, it's fasting, but not just fasting, but me fasting in concert with other people. Dr. Carl Lundquist, Dr. Jun Kim, can you give me an example of that? He goes, oh, yeah, yeah. One time we were believing God to give us the permits needed to have an evangelistic crusade for a million people. We wanted to see a million people. Come to faith in Jesus Christ. He said, but the problem was the police were against our evangelistic campaign. And they told us we will not and we will never give you your permits. Dr. Kim said, I didn't lobby the people. I didn't go through government. I didn't try to circumvent them using human natural means. He said, I just grabbed me and about a couple dozen associates. and We went up to the mountaintop for 40 days and fasted and prayed. 40 days. All of us believing God for the same thing. God released the permits because we believe you want to see a million people hear the gospel. He said, when we got down from the mountaintop at the end of 40 days of praying and fasting, we went straight back to the precincts and we see one of the officers and we said to the officer, what about the permit? He goes, man, it's the craziest thing. But just the other day, someone brought it up and said, we should release it to you. And you can have your evangelistic say. That's not coincidence. That's people of God accessing the power of God in community as they're in fasting with one another. And then Dr. Carl Lundquist says these words as he's hearing this story. You look at them with me. As I went back to the hotel, I reflected that I had never fasted like that. Perhaps I had never desired a work of God with the same intensity. Also, however, I haven't seen the miracles Dr. Kim has. If you want to take God off of the history channel of your life. And you want to see an ever present miracle working God. You're going to have to put on your scuba gear. You're going to have to do with other people who are going to press in. And by pressing in, I'm not talking disclaimers. When I'm in, when I, when I've got my back against the wall, I don't want just somebody praying. Nevertheless, not my will, but your will be. I know that scripture, but I need some almost Pentecostal folk praying with me. I need some folk who are going to say, you said, you said, you said, you said. And I'm going to give up whatever it means to give up. Because I want to see God history change. So what does this mean for us at Abundant Life? I came to this church nine months ago, ten months ago. In fact, almost a year to the date, I signed the paperwork back there in the office. We were led of God to come here. I'm not the savior of this church. There's one savior. His name is Jesus Christ. He's alive and doing well. But I want to see God, the same God who opened the Red Sea. I want to see that God here. 
And I want to experience him. And I want him to be unleashed in meaningful ways in our church. The weapons of our warfare aren't carnal. It's not me just coming here and hiring the right staff and, and reading the right books, operating the right techniques and going to these conferences to learn, you know, what works there and how do we apply it here. And it, it's not that. There's some help in that. But at the end of the day, I don't want to do a work that I can do. I want to see the power of Pentecost unleashed in the bay. And you can't convince me God doesn't want to do that. He does want to do that. Well, in order to get that, I believe we as a people got to stretch and believe God in ways we may not have ever believed him for. And we've got to do it together. So I'm asking every single person who calls Abundant Life home to join with me in praying for renewal. And there are seven things I want us to press into during this month as we're fasting. If you could put them on the screen. We're going to post these on the website, by the way. Uh, Look for them tomorrow when we beast. Number one, we are believing God for renewal in the bay, evidenced by mass conversions. Another generation would call this just an old-fashioned revival. Listen, I, I, I believe Satan's got a foothold in the bay. But I believe greater is he who's in us than he that's in the world. The history of California, when people first came to America, they settled on the East Coast. They came for religious reasons. But when they came to the West Coast, they didn't come for religious reasons. First, they came for gold. There's a spirit of materialism that is demonic, really taking a grip. That spirit of looking for gold, it's still here. It's just changed. We now call it technology. So people come here for, for very material reasons. And it's the best of the best. And they get here and, and they buy the expensive cars and they live in that wonderful zip and blah, 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 blah. And they think life for them is all about possessions. And there's this coldness and this callousness and there's this resistance to the gospel. And because of that, did you know in the annals of history, there has never been a documented historical revival in the Bay? Well, I want a group of people praying that God would privilege us in our lifetime and seeing the spirit poured out and, and, and that on Sunday mornings, there's traffic jams. But people want to get to church. I want to laugh. Part of me wants to laugh at that and go, yeah, right. But God can do it. And I believe it happens after prayer and fasting. Number two, what's our part in this? Number two, at Abundant Life, we want to see thousands come to faith, Jesus. I don't believe that God has blessed us with this facility and prime real estate for it to sit a half to three quarters full. And I don't believe that the growth of abundant life is going to come by stealing sheep. I want people driving down the street on Friday afternoons and they feel something when they go past this church. What they feel is the presence of the Lord, the anointing of the Holy Spirit. I want people when they walk into this place, it could just even be during worship, that people are, 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 are confessing and repenting of their sins. I want a new chapter written here in which thousands upon thousands come to faith in Jesus Christ. Not for my glory or fame, but for his. That God ain't dead. 
Three, I need some help, and we need a new discipleship pastor who's going to equip the saints in our mission to produce reproducing followers of Jesus Christ. I want to find this person by the end of this year, have them in place in 2018, all of us praying for that. Number four, I want us to be a great commission church where we send at least 150 people who will go on short-term missions for the next three years. I don't even know if we have a missions department officially. But here's what I do know. God's blessed us. And I ain't going to wait until we can be fully in the black or the books are just right before we start giving back. There's people who need to hear the gospel. And we want to be a sending church. Number five, that God would raise up and unleash the next generation of servant leaders at Abundant Life. You know, I praise God for Elder Carlton, Elder Rocky, Elder Arshel, Keith. But I I, kind of get a little frustrated sometimes because I'm seeing the same old people doing the same old things. I want a new generation of people who are fully bought into the vision. We're going to be unleashed to serve and lead us. Number six, there's spiritual warfare happening in our church, friends. Some of you confessed it. Last week, there's fear. Um, as of right now, there's at least three elders, three of our elders who are dealing with us with cancer. Since my wife and I've moved here, just crazy stuff has happened in our own family. Um, and I think it's because the enemy knows what's on the way. And if he can get to the leadership, if he can ignite fear in the people, if he can look, the enemy has thrown his best shot at this church. And look at us. We're still standing. This church should have been decimated. But Jesus Christ whittled us down remnant. And out of that remnant is going to become some new works. Some new visions, some new dreams, a new chapter. Those things are on the way. And all we're seeing that he's doing now is doing all that he can to keep us from that. Well, I want us to pray that God would protect us and prosper us and flourish us. And then seven, our personal requests. Whatever personal requests you have, please add those. Maybe other requests from people here in the church. Now, here's what this fast is going to look like. Fasting should be hard. Because fasting gets at the root of what controls us. First week, we're going to ease into it. Starting tomorrow. And ending next Sunday, no sugar. We're not going to be legalistic about that. Some of you are going, what does that mean? I can't have barbecue sauce? I always have barbecue sauce. I can't have barbecue sauce? What about my chocolate yogurt that I like? That was given for a specific person here. Um, you keep that between you and the Lord. We are asking for no sugar fast this coming week. No sugar. John Piper says that hunger pains are God's trumpet calls to prayer. Hunger pains are God, bless you, trumpet calls to prayer. So here's what happens. Fasting is not just abstaining. 
it's just abstaining, it's a diet. I abstain, so I'm driving to work. I always get that um, coffee with sugar in it. And now I got the craving. That craving is a trumpet call to pray. You with me on that? Um, I always have Oreo cookies. And now I can't have my Oreo cookies. I'm craving them. That's a trumpet call. Stop and pray. You fill in the blanks. Week two, January 16th to 22nd, we're asking everyone who can, everyone who can, to skip one meal a day for the week. And it should be a sacrifice. So hear me, if you don't normally eat breakfast, don't count breakfast. Gotcha. I gotcha, didn't I? Some of y'all, ooh, that's easy. That's easy. No, no, that's not a sacrifice. It's not a sacrifice. It should be a sacrifice. You with me? Here's what we want you to do. Maybe it's your lunch break. Spend that time in prayer, working through our lists, seeking God together. I just want you to get the picture. It's possible from San Francisco to San Jose, hundreds of us, lockstep harmony, daily praying. Same things. Powerful. Number three, somebody say, ouch, no screens. Hear me, I understand work, I understand work. So if you, what, what we're talking here is no screens as it relates to extracurricular use. Most of us in this room have to use a computer for work, understand. Most of us in this room, we have to use a phone, it's part of our work. What I'm saying is, if it's not in the category of have to, Stay off of it. And when you reach for it, because you will have withdrawals, <laughs> just reaching for it. Pray. God's trumpet calls to prayer. If we can put that list of seven things back up, I want us to all stand right now. And I want you to grab hands with those next to you. We didn't have our time earlier. Because I wanted to these things and incorporate them after careful explanation. Let's begin by praying, number one. Let's pray that God would do a work of renewal in the bay, evidenced by mass conversions. Let's pray that right now. Number two, now let's pray that thousands of people would come to faith in Jesus Christ at Abundant Life. Third, let's pray for our new discipleship pastor. Pray that God would show us who this individual is and that he'd be in place or she would be in place at the start of 2018.
forth, let's pray that God would allow us to be a great commission church, ascending church, where we send over 150 people who will go on short-term missions trips in the next three years. Fifth, let's pray that God would raise up and unleash the next generation of servant leaders at Abundant Life. Sixth, let's pray for spiritual warfare protection from the end. Pray that God protects this body. And not only protects it from the enemy, that God would prosper us. So, Father, strengthen us as we launch out together 21 days seeking you together, 21 days asking you for renewal in our church in the Bay, 21 days asking you to not just be the God of yesteryear, but to be the God of now. God, do a work of renewal, Lord God, a work, Lord God, we didn't even think was possible. Pour out spirit from San Jose to San Francisco. Pour out your spirit on this church. Pour out your spirit on marriages. Pour out your spirit on families. Pour out your spirit on individuals, Lord God. God, we pray these prayers in faith because we're not talking to our next door neighbor or to a good leader who's who's done some cold things. We're talking to a God who said, let there be light and there was light. That's the God we're talking to. And we believe you. And we're asking you, Lord God, for magnificent things. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. And amen. You may.